Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining my brother and I for what is going to be a fantastic podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes available at Amazon in ebook, paperback, and Kindle format. And if you're an audio buff, which I am, you can get volumes one through eight at Amazon, Audible, and iTunes as well. So please, partake of a copy or two and show a little support for what it is we do. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing great, other than my Yankees bullpen folding last night. That was awful. Uh. Just like, uh, well, listen, we know, and folks, we understand this podcast is about Bigfoot. You don't have to remind us. But uh, they have needed pitching help uh, for quite a while now. I know. It's not a shock by any means. Yeah, and uh, why they're stalling and why they don't uh, get some some more arms is beyond me, you know, but it is what it is, and you saw the results of that last night, you know? Oh, yeah. So, folks, Kevin and I are both uh, New York Yankees fans, as you can tell, and we're also New York Giant football fans, and we're fans of that team this year because they're doing well. <laughs> well, but in fairness, we're fans of them even when they're not doing well. But, <laughs> but they yeah. are doing well, fingers crossed. We'll see if they can pull it off again this week. Yeah, my chiropractor uh, has a, what do you call it, season tickets, right? He's got a box over there or a grouping of seats, whatever they refer to it as. And for the past couple of years, Kev, all he talks about is selling the seats. <laughs> and and now when I go to visit him, he's like, I'm like, you're pretty happy about having the seats now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, right. No tickets for sale here. Move along. Move along. <laughs> so what do we have, Kevin, our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment today? Yeah, we're going to do a story from right here in North Carolina, uh-huh. or North Kakalaki, as we refer to it. <laughs> and um, this one uh, we've never covered. It is a cryptid. It is the Hairy Man. Ah. And um, we've had listeners write in over the years here uh, saying, hey, let's hear about Nobby, the legend of Nobby. 
Yeah. Uh, from Kaser, North Carolina, which is part of Cleveland County. It's uh, northwest of Charlotte, North Carolina, and kind of uh, south southeast of, I'm sorry, southwest of Hickory, North Carolina. Okay. So Hickory, if you've heard of Hickory before, kind of a cool little old town here in western North Carolina, right around there in Kaser, uh, North Carolina. Okay. Nobby. Nobby, yeah. Spelled with a K. Okay. And um, first we're going to talk about one of the sightings. Um, uh, there's a gentleman named Tim Peeler that uh, saw Nobby um, uh, quite a few years ago. And uh, he actually called 911 at the time and reported it. And this little article I found was uh, him reenacting what he saw that time when he reported it. So basically, Tim was saying that uh, Nobby was in his yard. And the quote is, he come right by me and walked right back out that path, Peeler said, pointing to a small path into the densely wooded area surrounding his house in Kaser, North Carolina. Wow. And this was around 3 o'clock in the morning. And Peeler, so we got a real close-up look at him. And he called 911 and reported uh, seeing this creature walking through his yard. And uh, the 911 folks had uh, since released uh, the recording or the transcript of the call. And he indeed did call them and say exactly what he's saying here. Yeah, and Kev, you got to love the 911 call. Oh, yeah. Because I don't care who you are. Uh, in my opinion, you don't dial 911 lightly. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And uh, if he saw something, he felt he needed to get it out there to the authorities. Maybe he felt it might be a danger to some of his adjoining properties. Or I don't know what, what, where he lived and what his you know property layout was, but... Obviously, he felt strongly enough about it that he dialed 911. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, wow. Um, so, you know, this, this legend of Nobby, you know, that's one of, the, one of the best documented sightings. But it's been around for a long time. Now, there are uh, some backstories here. So, uh, you know, some of the folks have said that the legend goes back to the moonshiners in the area trying to keep people away from their stills. Huh. Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, folks out there would dress up and uh, like Nobby and be seen once in a while to scare the bejesus out of people <laughs> yeah. that might discover uh, their, uh, their illegal moonshine stills. Well, you know, I could see some people being frightened by, like, let's just say you or I were moonshiners and we had this suit, maybe we would position ourselves in a place where you got, like, a look at us peering through the crotch of a big tree. Yeah. But maybe not the whole figure that would give us up as being a guy in a costume. Yeah, as long as you aren't armed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a big component there, too, because you might catch a freaking water lead right between the eyes. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. But, but I, you know, and I think it could be, too, that uh, not even, you know, we always think of the suit. But, I mean, think about it, if somebody's roaming around in the evening, 
getting close to your moonshine still, you could start making some howls and stuff like that that just the sound would probably scare the heck out of them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of things you could do. And really, it would depend on the individual how freaked out they got about it, right? Yep, exactly. Exactly. Wow. And uh, it's kind of cool, though. They talk about where uh, these hidden stills were, where they think uh, the Nobby sightings were. And the name of the road, Bill, is Dirty Ankle Road. <laughs> Hey, listen, listen, speaking of Dirty Ankle Road, I had a patient on one of my monitors yesterday. Guess guess what their last name was? Oh, I don't know. Smelly. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's not good. And we had a couple of yucks over that. I said, if my last name was Smelly, I would definitely have to do something about that. Oh, no. <laughs> I go ahead. I, I don't know where I come up with these things, but that is the truth. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, Dirty ankle road. <laughs> yeah. So and then, of course, you know, so that's one uh, one backstory to the origin of Nobby. And then there's another backstory, of course, like in a lot of these legends that it's a prank, you know, and that folks around there. And Kaser uh, started to propagate the legend of Nobby, both by talking about it and by, I'm sure, dressing up as uh, uh, Nobby and, you know, or making some uh, large uh, footprints in the forest around the area. Well, I mean, that could have been after the fact, but is anybody saying that this fellow uh, pranked a 911 call? They're not saying it's specifically about him. But, right, right. You know. It's like an after effect. Unfortunately, that's the reality of some of these hairy man stories, that they are uh, elaborate hoaxes and pranks, right? Yeah. Well, many of them are, right, after yeah. the fact. Well, even for, even initially, some of them are. I yeah, mean, I, yeah. You know, we've yeah. seen stories of people making up casts of feet and stuff like that and confessing about it later on. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I'm not saying they're all hoaxes. I'm saying one of the drawbacks is that there are a number of hoaxes, hoaxers out there and, uh, you know, folks not telling the truth, which is disappointing. But Yeah, it's a lot like the crop circle phenomena. Yep. You know, a lot of people have actually seen these things being laid down uh, reputable people, you know, in like no man's land where the field next to their observatory had nothing in it. And then an hour later, there's this elaborate crop circle there and there's nobody yeah. around to lay it down, you know. Right. So right. the Bigfoot phenomena is much like that. We have a lot of truth and a lot of tale, tall tales to go along with it, you know. Yeah, 100 percent. Wow. So what else do we have? Do we have anything in, in uh, do we have a written format of his his uh, 911 call or was that it? That's it. That's it. He basically said the same thing to the 911 operator, you know. Wow. Did anybody go out, any uh, units go out to uh, look I didn't, I didn't see anything reported about them going out to the site. Uh-huh. I don't know, you know. Now, what about the surrounding area? Do we still have knobby reports? I've heard that name kicked around quite a bit through the years. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't find anything in uh, in uh, news, you know, on the uh, interweb other than, you know, they've done some documentaries and stuff like that about Nobby. They've sent news crews out to interview people and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, there's, uh, you know, uh, a community poll uh, or there was a community poll for Cleveland Community College out in the area where they were trying to pick a uh, mascot uh in 2019 and uh they had an overwhelming number of write-in votes for nobby <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, uh there's a little uh, university out there called gardner webb uh and they did a documentary there um by a pair a pair of students there at the university did a documentary back in 2015 on nobby wow so it gets a lot of attention um but I couldn't find uh, some other, uh, any other accounts, you know, credible accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but folks, you know, I know a lot of you listening out there are here in my home state of North Carolina. And uh, write in if you know anything else about Nobby and certainly if you've seen Nobby. Yeah. Maybe and, uh, I'll even do an interview with you on air if you've seen Nobby. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, and you know where to get us, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. And hit the contact link and uh, chime in with us if you've seen him. We'd like to talk it over with you. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I have to ask Philip, too, uh, where this area is in relation to the sighting he had uh, many years ago. Uh, and if he knows, uh, Philip will be listening to this podcast. And was he in North Carolina when he saw it? Well, he was working as a security guard at a coal mine. And yeah, I don't know if there's any coal mines out there. Okay, that's what I don't know, Kev. That's yeah, what I'm but worth asking. Yeah, I don't know the area, the lay of the land at all. But uh, when he had his sighting, he was security at a coal mine. And got, we got some of those furniture mines out there where they make the furniture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, <laughs> when, you t- when a town is named Hickory... <laughs> you know there's some wood around. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, you know something? I got a pretty cool uh, account here. And, uh, uh, you know, as I read this, you're going to see there's no rhyme or reason to who, what, where, when, or how uh, people encounter a Sasquatch, what they're doing at the time, as you're about to hear. Uh, So listen in as I tell you what uh, Marilyn Tona, who is a resident of California, and her fiancé Gary saw while taking in the night sky. It was early in the summer of 2016, so we're talking six years ago, that Gary and I had geared up to head into Joshua Tree National Park for a little stargazing during the overnight. The two of us were members of a small group of astronomy buffs who both kept and shared our collective data relative to our observations. For the most part, all of the members made known what their plans were on any given night relative to what, if anything, they had planned 
and the invitation to join up for a stellar rendezvous was always an open-door policy. Well, as it turns out, this evening, it was Gary and myself going it alone in Joshua Tree, which, to be honest, was the case more often than not, it being very difficult in these days and times to get people together for such things as a night in the desert. And so it was. So they were club members. That night was a new moon, and the sky was ablaze with the light of a trillion stars as we set up for the night. We had decided that that evening to do a time-lapse photography session, as well as having brought along our 20 by 80 Steiner binoculars and a tripod for a little sky watching. Having set up in an area where there was a slight ridge ahead of us, filled with boulders in the background and some large cacti in the foreground, we thought this would make an excellent border for our film, and so we went with it. Once the camera was set up to run, Gary and I were taking turns with the binoculars. While sitting in a small foldable camp chair for comfort while observing. Now, this ridge of which I spoke appeared dark to the eyes, but the backdrop was anything but dark, a glow with a billion stars. It was at approximately 1.30 in the morning, which happened to be an hour before we had planned to call it quits for the night, that I was sitting at the binoculars and Gary was standing behind me to my left. It was then that Gary said to me, Marilyn, stop looking for a minute and check out what's walking along the ridge to your right. Now, this area where we were situated was in close to daylight lighting with the brightness of the sky above us. We could see virtually every rock and boulder, as well as the entirety of the slope leading up to this ridge, and all of the gigantic boulders sitting on and around this area some of which must weigh hundreds, if not thousands, of tons. So I backed away from the binoculars, and Gary was now at my side, pointing to the right-hand side of this one massive rock plopped right atop the ridge, and there it was. I said to Gary without hesitation, "'That's a Sasquatch.' There was absolutely no doubt about it in my mind as to what I was seeing. The silhouette was exactly that which is seen on all the gimmicky hats and t-shirts related to the Bigfoot creature. The tall, cumbersome body with its long swinging arms hanging from its side, loping along the ridge in the starlight. It walked for what appeared to be several hundred feet, where it was momentarily concealed by a boulder, after which it emerged on the other side 
and continued along its way until it walked down the backside of the ridge and was gone from sight. We were blown away by what we had seen, and yet see it we did. The following day, the two of us called out of work and headed back to the location in the hope of finding some evidence as further proof, if nothing else for ourselves, and to kind of relive the night sighting. When we had made our way back to the area where we were set up, we immediately realized that the distance was actually much greater than we had thought during the night. Having now hiked up to the ridge, the boulder which it had walked behind was at least three times the size that I had thought it was at night. And the distance was actually about 250 yards, whereas at night I thought it maybe to be a 100 or so at best. The ground was not conducive to the leaving of full and viable footprints, being dry and sandy, excuse me, But we did find a trail of hundreds of heels and toe prints, as well as some mostly complete footprints in the sandy clay-like soil. We measured several of them. They were very shallow. And we found them to be somewhere between about 20 inches long, give or take. They seemed to have been laid down in a fairly straight line as well. Gary and I were in no way ignorant of the supposed existence of Sasquatch. We had both seen all the shows and pictures, uh, and were as many on the fence, so to speak, as to whether or not such a thing actually existed. Gary actually has a t-shirt that says, Sasquatch saw me and no one believed him a tongue-in-cheek poke at us seeing them and no one believing us. This was a life-changing event for both of us in that we knew what we saw, and yet over the next weeks and months, we had shared what had happened, the two of us bearing the brunt of virtually continuous jokes and ridicule, and that was that. Knowing you and your writings, we decided to share our encounter with you and your readers without fear of the same happening. It's incredible but true. Sasquatch is, in fact, in California, and I would imagine everywhere else that people say they have seen them. What do you think of that, Kev? Cool. It reminds me of the uh, Marble Mountain sighting, right? I mean, it was uh, that was at dusk, but they're looking up at the ridge line, right? Like the group of uh, campers where they did the video, got the videotape of the Sasquatch walking along on the ridge line above yep. them. That's right. Yep. Yeah. All nervous mm-hmm. and uh, acting weird, and definitely didn't look like somebody in a suit for sure. But yeah, no, it's a great account, and it goes back to what we. Always say, Bill, if you're not out there looking around, um, you're not going to see anything. And I think it's kind of cool that, like, they're so focused on the sky, as you would be if you're going out and doing some stargazing. And then, uh, you know, one of the folks is like, hey, wait a minute, take a look over there. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, and as uh, Marilyn had said, it's it's a very uh, it's a well known shape. Uh, if you're looking at that silhouette anywhere, it doesn't look like a man, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt about it. When you see a man hiking across a ridge at night uh, in Joshua's Tree Park, it's yeah. not going to look like a humongous Sasquatch loping along uh, on a ridgeline with the backdrop of this well-illuminated sky with a billion stars, as she said. Yeah, 100%. So, 100%. And, you know, it's just that easy, though, Kevin. Even when she went back, uh, the two of the current Gary went back to see it during the daytime, the distance was actually far greater than she had thought during the night. Yeah. So the fact that you're seeing something in some kind of detail at what she said was 250 yards, not 100, that's a long ways, 250 yards. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't know if you were looking at a a, a six-foot-tall man uh, at 250 that you'd see much detail. No, and I, I'll tell you what, that, I mean, it brings up another point, Bill. I'd have a hard time estimating how tall something is at 250 yards unless there's a clear, you know, point of reference next to it. Right. Like a car or something like that, a fence post. Yeah. Now she sign. Yeah, she didn't say anything about height or dimensions, which I can also appreciate, you know, because the story is the story, you know. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just making the point. Yeah, yeah. Know? Yeah, uh, I I don't mind the people that over-embellish things, and I don't mind the people that don't. I I simply want to know what you saw, what, where, when, and how, and uh, I leave it at that, you know, because that's kind of the uniqueness of uh, each encounter, like what we just, you just read about the man in North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, Three o'clock in the morning, this thing came out, turned around, went right back in the way it came. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, he exactly. didn't get into how big and hairy or muscular or nothing. He just called up and said, I saw what I saw, and this is what I saw. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever been out there, Joshua's Tree State Park? I have. It's spectacular. Uh-huh. I haven't been out there stargazing. I've been out there in the daytime, but it's beautiful. Yeah, I would imagine if you were, like, these guys were club members, too, and that's what I like about it. You know, uh, call them what you will, semi-professional, but they had a real interest in what they were doing. And uh, Oh, yeah, and a lot of those club stargazers, I know here, uh, we go out by uh, Jordan Lake here in uh, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, um, occasionally, we're actually we did it a lot before the pandemic, and we were out on the lake on the boat yesterday and talking about the fact that we got to see if they're having these stargazing nights again because there's an astronomy club over in Chapel Hill, and they would bring all these big telescopes out there and invite the public to join them. Wow, that would be and it was super cool. We would go all the time, you know, and it was they would have it at like midnight. And they'd get special permission from the local state park to open it up, you know, for people to come to uh, look through the telescopes. And they'd have, you know, these 
super powerful telescopes, Bill, and laser pointers that they put up in the sky and show you where to look and point out the different uh, everything from constellations to planets to stars, nebula, etc. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, very cool stuff. <laughs> so once again, though, you have here, if you're talking to people who are certainly in an astronomy club, uh, these people are fairly reliable observers. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah, they're good at seeing things, right? Yeah, and even if you're lack an of amateur, a description. right? Even if you're an amateur, your intent is to observe. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, you know, I don't have an axe to grind with any of these people. I think your average human being knows what they're looking at when they see a Sasquatch, or a hawk, or a swan in the lake. Or somebody holding up a large bass in their fingers on a camera. Or a Loch Ness Monster. Or a Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> or Champ. <laughs> or Nobby. Or a Rougarou. <laughs> hey, I he- rode I rode by that gigantic dog man again yesterday. I gotta stop over there and take a picture. I need a picture of the gigantic dog man. Uh, this thing is like uh it's got to be 12 feet tall. I'm a little disappointed, too. I did go over to the Hope Center to look for uh, a giant dogman or Rougarou inflatable for Halloween. Yeah. And I didn't see anything. So yeah, that's disappointing. That? It's really disappointing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, you know. I, I should have something outside, but, you know, my driveway, Kev, as you know, is that circular formation. Yep. And the outlet I have on the front of my house, if I plugged anything in, it would have to be out on the lawn, which would leave the extension cord running across the driveway, you know. And I didn't want to get into the situation where you're plugging it in or running it over with the car all the time or God forbid it snows, and now the power cord is under the snow, and I'm out there with the snowblower or whatever, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. No, you can do it, though. They make that little uh, cover thing, you know? It's like uh, uh, to keep you from tripping over it, and you just snap the cord into it to run across the driveway. Oh, that's an idea. Yeah, can you get yourself one of those while you're picking up your inflatable Rougarou. Yeah, maybe I'll put a 60-foot-tall Rougarou out in the And yard. by the way, if it if it... Makes a sound as well. That's better. What you know, kind that, of what kind of sound? Hmm. Especially being you're across the street from an elementary school, Bill. Yeah, that would be good for the small children. Ah! <laughs> Don't worry. It's just a rougarou. <laughs> Of course, it would have glowing red eyes. Now, listen, I won't get into uh, what this sculpture was. But many years ago, I knew these guys. And in the wintertime, they made this, let's just call it a gross sculpture out of snow and ice. And it was right on the corner of a street in a neighborhood on their property. But it was certainly something that anybody of rational thinking would not have 
constructed on a property. <laughs> so apparently some of the neighbors had called the police and told them what these people had done on their property and that they wanted something done about it. Reasonable. Yeah. So the police showed up and with their uh, uh, nightsticks smashed this thing to smithereens (laughs) on their property. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, to get rid of it. Uh, I'm surprised. I don't think the police would cut a hole in your inflatable Rougarou, though. I really don't. (laughs) Everybody loves a good Rougarou. That's what, <laughs> that's what it made me think of that because I said I could see this thing on your lawn and them coming by and, like, poking a hole in it and watching no, it deflate. No, no. Come on. <laughs> Everybody loves a good Rougarou, especially if it's growling and with glowing red eyes. <laughs> Listen, can you go into your favorite deli and order a Rougarou on rye bread, please? I'll tell you what. You're going to have to check out... Uh, you, you might have to go over to the Seaport Deli there and talk it, Bill, tell them who you are and have them name a sandwich after you called the Rougarou. <laughs> oh, they got, they got some named after some of the famous athletes from there, I know. You know, the Seaport, uh, a lot of people go there, you know, to eat and get sandwiches. They have some oh, reputation. I love it. Yeah, whenever I'm back in town, I always go by. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They've been doing the right thing for a long time over there. Wow. Well, anyways, Kev. So that's it. Oh, that's a great account, man. Joshua Tree and uh, the Stellar Rendezvous. Yeah, just fantastic. You know, I think that might be the title of this podcast, Bill. <laughs> the Stellar Rendezvous. <laughs> Strangers in the night, <laughs> exchanging glances, strangers in the night. <laughs> oh man. So what so what what do we have in our uh, listener mail today, Kev? Well, speaking of Rugaru. We got a letter in, an email in from Francois Ah, in Normandy. No kidding. Yeah, and he says, uh, bonjour, gentlemen. And I (laughs) use that term loosely. (laughs) He says, just a brief note to request some more tales of werewolves. Oh. When the moon is full over the English Channel here, I often think of the werewolves and the crazy tales of the Rougarou from that southern portion of the U.S. Wow. And no, that is not French that they speak there. (laughs) Au revoir. (laughs) (laughs) There's wise guys everywhere, you know that? Uh, Even in France. Even in France. They're talking it up. Francois in Normandy. <laughs> On to it. So, uh, uh, yeah, but but you're right, Francois. We we do have to, uh, uh, Bill, maybe uh, you could dig up a uh, tale or two of the Rougarou, and I will, uh, I will do the same, because it is uh, one creepy, creepy beast, and the legends of it, too, going all the way back to Europe are uh, fantastic. 
Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny, Kev, because people ask me, uh, not with regularity, but I have been asked, let, let's put it that way, uh, do you have this, do you have that? And, folks, to be honest with you, when I put these accounts together, and I named them, uh, while I'm putting them together, I named them. But then, over time, when I read the name of my own account, it's not indicative of what's in there, per se. Uh, for instance, the one I just... Uh, did over the air today, I called the Stargazer sighting. But me looking at the title does not tell me if it was a sighting of a Rougarou, uh, a UFO, uh, a Sasquatch, uh, black-eyed children. You know, I don't know by the title what's in there. So shy of me reading all of these accounts and hunting down a Rougarou... Well, get uh, on it, Bill. Read them all. Yeah, yeah. You know how many times I have read these accounts in uh, uh, writing them out, rewriting them uh, prior to publishing? Audiobooks. Um, audiobooks. I mean, it's insane, folks. I've been through these accounts, you know, so many times that you can't even comprehend it. Uh, and still, uh, I would have to kind of look at each one individually and uh, see where it was going, and then maybe it would stimulate. Now, having said that, there are some accounts that are just locked into my brain for whatever reason. Maybe it's just because my uh, of my own interest in them. For instance, Kev, the fight. Uh, yeah, classic, a classic. The, the fight is just like in my mind. I could almost speak that verbatim. Uh, to anyone, anywhere. Uh, it was so fanta utterly fantastic. Uh, uh, the other one was the jogger account, which I always found to be horrific. Uh, the bone pile with the orthopedic surgeon, uh, where the ravens gather. Yeah. I was always fascinated with that one. Uh, the Bigfoot dropping out of the trees uh, with the branch breaking underneath it. So there are some that, you know, I have recollection of, but certainly not all of them, and there's hundreds, so. And and by the way, listeners, before you write in and suggest that Bill ask his favorite digital assistant to find these accounts, my brother Bill is not quite in the full uh, digital age here. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more of an analog process. <laughs> <laughs> And I couldn't say the favorite digital assistant because I have two different ones here next to me. <laughs> and whenever I say their name, they wake up and start chatting. And Kev, you know something? With those digital assistants, I mean, I'm talking to people on the telephone, and they just say something. I don't know what triggers them. And you'll hear these things start barking in the background. <laughs> and I'm like, holy cow, man, shut that thing down. <laughs> and then they have to talk to it, like, you know, be quiet, Alexa, or whatever they say. Oh, don't know? say that word, Bill. That's uh -oh. what wakes them up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's what wakes them up. Hi, how can I help you? <laughs> what are you having? Bacon and eggs? 
<laughs> Do you have a transistor salad? <laughs> All right. Well, let's go. Let's leave France and go to our next email. And this one is, hello, William. I hope you are well. Uh-huh. I was given your contact information from Emily of the Forest Floor Podcast. Ah, uh, hello, Emily. She is a friend of mine, and a while ago we were discussing alleged Bigfoot wood knocks, and she mentioned she had heard a story about a couple, I believe, hearing wood knocking sounds, only to see a Bigfoot producing these sounds. Yeah. To my recollection, this is what she stated. The other day, I was thinking about that sighting, and she mentioned you had told her the story. I'm currently working on a video about alleged Bigfoot audio, and I've heard people mention that no Bigfoot has been seen doing a wood knock. Mm -hmm. But to my knowledge, there have been a few sightings from what I could tell. Anyway, I figured if you might be willing to share the details of that story, it's pretty intriguing overall. If you were willing to share it, I would, and, wait, if you were willing to share it, would I be able to cite it in the video discussing the Bigfoot woodknocking theory? Of course, I'd credit you by name or mention, uh, or, or not mention it if you would like. Hope to hear from you soon. Sincerely, Alexander. Yeah, and I'm going to contact Alexander, Kev, uh, because I'm always interested in talking it up. But what Emily was referring to was the account that I labeled, It's Not Wood. And you'll recall, Kev, that couple that was doing panoramic photography. Yeah. And they saw... Uh, what they described as a nervous man waiting for a bus. Do you remember that? I do, yeah, because it, it actually is a lot like um, um, the the Marble Mountain incident. Right, pacing around, arms swinging around, like, what yeah, do I do? nervous, yeah, waiting Sit. on a bus, thinking about something, frustrated, whatever. Yep. The same thing. Yeah. And the account was, though, that... They had heard what sounded like a knock prior to seeing this thing, you know, frustratingly walking around in one specific area back and forth. And what they recounted was seeing this thing apparently raise its arms and hands up to its, like, mouth area. Like, you and I would cup our mouth and say, hello, And when it raised its hands to its mouth, the knock occurred. And then the arms dropped and there was no more knocking sound. Right. And it also made me think, some of the knocks I hear recorded, uh, if they're legitimate, really sounds to me so perfect that to reproduce that, you would have to have two uh, Hillerick and Bradsby baseball bats kiln-dried, clacking together to reproduce that kind of perfection. It wouldn't, it wouldn't come by way of a random branch laying in the woods, whacking against some tree covered in bark. 
So the point I'm making is that I have a certain belief that this uh, oral representation of a wood knock may be spot on in some circumstances where that unique, crisp sound is actually vocalized by a creature. What do you think of that? Well, that actually makes a lot more sense to me, Bill. Um, I I hadn't heard of that before, but, you know, me being uh, the scientist, I'm just skeptical of these creatures whacking, uh, you know, the equivalent of a baseball bat against a tree to make these loud sounds, you know, Mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. One, it's just, it's not really logical that a creature would communicate by whacking trees with a piece of wood. I I don't know. It it just, it's a little too far-fetched for me. And then two, you know, I spend a lot of time walking around in the woods and the typical thing you pick up to hit a tree with isn't going to make that kind of sound, getting to your point. Exactly. It doesn't make a crisp no. Solid, uh, you know, like if you take two dowels, let's say you took two drumsticks, Kev. You mean turkey that, drumsticks? Uh, no, I'm talking, oh. you know. Sorry, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit yeah. hungry. Yeah, like the kind <laughs> of uh, sticks you would use on a set of pearl drums and zildjian yeah. cymbals. Yep. If you whack those two things together, or a wood block in an orchestra, they have a very distinct, crisp, and clear sound. No doubt about it. Because yeah. of the density, the drying, the uh, uh, the construction of what you're clacking together, it's perfection. The sound is very clear, like a musical note almost. If you just grab some random dead branch in the woods, no matter how thick it is, and whack it against some random tree... It doesn't produce that kind of clarity to me. It's more like a whack or a thud. Yeah, there's a noise. There's definitely a sound that is reproduced, but it doesn't sound like two pure pieces of lumber hitting each other uh, and then stopping, you know. So I'm with you on that. When I look around... Uh, at the animals that I see, uh, the, whatever they are, birds, four-legged creatures, I don't see anything. What, uh, the other night, here's another example. The other night I come home, it's 11.40 at night. As soon as I get out of the car, I'm listening to a great horned owl in my neighbor's yard. And this thing is going... And it kept repeating that for an hour. Mm. Now, at 1.30 in the morning, I was back out on the deck. It was still in my neighbor's yard, and it had changed its call. So for at least a couple of hours, this thing was sitting in the yard making a very distinct call. But there are no creatures out there that are using branches rustling leaves, uh, smacking things, kicking things. I I don't see anything reproducing uh, a sound to attract something else other than what they're capable of doing themselves. I I have heard antlers crashing, you know, two bucks fighting. 
Uh, but that's it. I mean, that's the loudest thing I hear. You hear a roar. You hear a howl. You hear a bird sound. You hear antlers clacking with each other as they're engaging in, like, combat. Other than that, tell me something else, folks, because I'm listening. <laughs> I, I don't know anything else that can be heard relative to animals using uh, uh, trees around them to communicate. What do you think, Kev? Yeah, yeah. No, I I like the idea that they're that the sound is a vocalization versus, you know, knocking on trees or or logs on the ground. That just never made sense to me because I've tried it and it doesn't make that kind of sound. Yeah, no. Now, some people, not that often, we've heard people speak of rocks clacking together. Now, does it happen? Perhaps. But much easier for something with a pair of hands to grab two stones and, and do a little clack, clack, clack or something like that, you know? Uh, right. But also, like when you're walking through the forest, generally speaking, folks, generally speaking, so don't write in, not a lot of rocks sitting around. Right. Unless you were down by the river or a lake. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the part of the country. Too, right. Right. Because we know, we know a lot of these sightings... Uh, have occurred near water, which makes sense, right? You need yeah, water. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's up in the air, right? It's all conjecture. Uh, we're making no claims to be experts. This is simply an expose, if you will, on what people are seeing or hearing or, you know, whatever it may be. And uh, you throw it out there and... Um, and, and just let the people have at it, you know, which is exactly what I do. <laughs> you know, I hear these things and I'm left to ponder them and think about them and talk to people and make my own judgment call as to whether I believe it or not. And really, that's what the listeners are doing. Yeah. So uh, it's just a big uh, circular feed here with info and sharing of info. And it is what it is, you know. Absolutely. So... Uh, all right, and uh, let's see here. Next email comes in from Pietor in Warsaw, Poland. Wow. Yeah. He says, hi, brothers. Love your podcast and especially love it when you get the creep on. <laughs> <laughs> he says, what are your favorite paranormal shows on television? And can we get a few more episodes on super spooky stuff and very creepy locales? <laughs> Keep up the great work. Ah, it seems we've struck a note with some listeners, you know. No doubt. <clears throat> you know, every once in a while we get an email from somebody that says, ah, I thought the show was about Bigfoot. And listen, we're talking about a lot of strange stuff here. And yes, Bigfoot is still strange. And we talk about Bigfoot, we talk about UFOs, we talk about goats floating in the river, and, uh, you yeah. know, oh, yeah. Santeria and all kinds of strange stuff. But uh, I don't know, Kev, do you have a favorite creepy uh, TV show? I'm actually, so I may shock some of our listeners, may shock you, Bill. I love, you know, uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, you know, last season I was laughing more at the Bigfoot show. 
on TV than mm-hmm. uh, than enjoying it, honestly. Um, uh, but the the real uh, paranormal stuff scares the crap out of me, so I I generally uh, don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, to me, it's a little. You know, some of the stuff is quite demonic, and it just scares me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, and it's funny you, you know. mention that, Kev, because just two days ago, uh, I have a, a young younger coworker. Uh, he's in the Army National Guard, and uh, a lot of these young people, they're just inundated with knowledge that leads to nowhere. They know everything about the latest Netflix series. They if one asks the other one, "Hey, have you they're like uh what's the word I'm looking for? They're in, inescapably joined at the hip about movies, series and productions that lead to nowhere. There's nothing to be gained from watching them, but they know everything about them. Hey, wait a minute. I resemble that remark. Yeah, well, he is talking about something, and then he asks me, well, uh, do you watch this? You know, do you look at this and this and that? And I said to him, I don't want that stuff in my spirit. And I meant it sincerely because... You are awash in absorbing really evil stuff through your eyes, through your ears, and it's having an effect on you whether you believe that or not. You know, you are the culmination of what you read or see or allow to enter into you. And I will not. Uh, watch a lot of this stuff because it makes you feel bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it, like for me, I don't like I watch uh, typically watch stuff on TV uh, in the evenings. Mm-hmm. You know, unless I'm flying across the country on a plane or something, then I'll watch some movies and stuff like that just mm-hmm. to distract myself from the painful little seat that I'm sitting in. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> But I don't, you know, I don't enjoy getting uh, totally creeped out, you know, at night. Um, you know, now I will see a scary movie once in a while, but usually more along the lines of, uh, you know, something that's going on. Like, uh, you know, I saw there's a new Halloween movie coming out, and of course Halloween is approaching. So I'll see if uh, one of the kids wants to go see the movie. And usually they're a little tongue-in-cheek Anyway, you know, they're not, uh, it's not like a demonic encounter or something. It's, it's, uh, clearly a good, good winning over evil. So, so, I mean, that's a, that's a long discussion, but we, I don't have a favorite. It sounds like you don't have a favorite either, Bill. I don't, but I'm with you. Uh, in recent days, I enjoy, uh, the Skinwalker series and I look forward to that coming back on. Yeah, it's supposed to be coming back too in a month or so. Yeah. And uh, I like uh, things like that that are layered with uh, factual data. Uh, Many years ago, I used to watch like, uh, well, I won't even mention a name, but some of these ghost shows. Yeah. 
But some of these shows are so entrenched in evil. They're just a little too creepy, you know, if there's yeah. such a thing. Not creepy, too demonic. So yeah. I, I like uh, I like Expedition X, too, and they go to some creaky, creepy places, too, you know, with uh, the... Uh, the proponent and the scientist. I forget their names, but I think it's well done. Yeah, you know? no, no, they're pretty good. And, and they go to some, you know, they go looking for Goat Man and go to some of these haunted dams and stuff like that that I've right. covered. And that, I love that stuff. It's just some of them are a little too uh, too uh, deep in it. But let's let's move on. But we will. We will get the creep on, and Halloween is coming. I think the next episode we're going to record may be the Halloween podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, so. So uh, our last email, Bill, is a little bit on the lighter side. Uh-huh. Uh, it comes in uh, from Indiana uh, and uh, basically says, I recently came across this on the Internet. A supposed Bigfoot caught on camera on a trail camera roaming through a natural area in Portland. It's either a hoax, PR stunt, or it's the real thing. If it is someone in a suit, they did a pretty good job. I don't see any uh, uh, clear muscle definition, but I also don't see any suit hanging off the person or seams. Mm -hmm. I posted a picture to the link below, not knowing if either of you had seen it before or not. Um, and uh, they say, uh, also, P.S., I'm excited to know that the upcoming Season 4 of Expedition Bigfoot takes place in Alaska. So I didn't hear that. So hopefully uh, that makes for uh, uh, a little less faux, dra- faux drama than they had last year mm-hmm. you know, on that show. Yeah. But I don't know if you got to click on this Portland uh, images, Bill. I didn't yet, but I certainly will. So it's pretty cool. It's two trail cam footage. One is like a, you know, Bigfoot walking at you. Um, and the other is a Bigfoot kind of walking across a bridge. And it's like the side of the head. And it's pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm. But there's a red flag on this story. Mm. And the red flag is the date. April 1st, 2022. Yeah, hello. April Fools! Beware, folks. Uh, You don't know how many stories I see where I'm like, oh, this looks pretty interesting. And then I look at the date and it says published April 1st. Right. That is a hoax. April Fools joke. Yeah, and the odds of catching two Bigfoot shots on two trail cameras... You know, it's just, come on, please. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I will give uh, the Environmental Services Group in Portland a kudos because the trail cam shots, they are real trail cam shots or appear to be, and they're dated 3-17-2022. One is at 9.36 and 20 seconds p.m., and the other is at 9.41 and 38 seconds p.m. So they look good. Uh-huh. But they published it on April 1st, so I believe it's an April Fool's joke. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when we get back to uh, Expedition Bigfoot for a second, they did have that guy uh, do an exam of the examination of the Patterson-Gimlin film again. And he's an old-time, you know, Hollywood 
costume designer and uh he knew his stuff and he knew his stuff of the time period when that film was generated and he said they had nothing available at that time yes that could yes. be worn or reproduce what you're looking at in that film aside from his intricate examination of the toes flipping up on every step and the hackles rising up on the back of the neck of this creature which was evidence of uh, it being nervous about who were these two humans and the horses coming into my area as it was walking away there was so yeah, many that's, su that's super cool yeah there was so many things my own yeah. observations about the musculature and whatnot yeah. uh, there's no way that film was a fake no, yeah. no way Good stuff, good stuff. Well, good podcast, Bill. One of my digital assistants would like to say hello to everyone. <laughs> that, that's it? It sounds like R2-D2. <laughs> it is R2-D2. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, folks, if you should find yourself... Hiking through Joshua Tree Park during the day or the night, or coming out of your back door at 3 a.m. in North Carolina, you better remember just one thing always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight. <laughs>